And now I am delighted to introduce today's speaker. This is Dr. Jennifer Wen. She is our current chief resident here at Providence St. Vincent Medical Center. Dr. Wen was born here at St. Vincent's. Her roots go deep and she grew up here in Portland before attending medical school at Wake Forest School of Medicine in North Carolina. We were delighted when Dr. Wen chose to return to Portland to do her internal medicine residency here at St. Vincent's. And we are particularly excited that she plans to practice primary care within Providence Medical Group West Hills come this fall. So I will turn it over to Dr. Wen. Thank you so much for presenting to us today. Great, thank you, Dr. Leacher. Uh, let me just share my screen. Uh, so good morning, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today for my talk. Uh, my talk is called uh, Point of Care Ultrasound Coming Soon to a Primary Care Clinic Near You with an emphasis on the question mark. Um, so I know Dr. Later just gave, said some stuff about me, but uh, again, I'm a graduate of this program here at St. Vincent's. Um, this is me. This is a pre-COVID picture taken actually during my intern year um, with some of my co-interns at the time. Um, and after this year, I am primary care destined and I'm interested in POCUS, but I'm not certified in POCUS. I do not have any financial interest or relationships to disclose. And to just give you a brief overview of the things that we're going to be talking about today. So I'm going to first start off by giving you some background information on point of care ultrasound or POCUS. Then I'll talk a little bit about how POCUS is incorporated into the undergraduate and graduate medical education. Then I'll be talking about applications of POCUS in the clinic. Then I'll talk about whether or not there's evidence for using POCUS in the clinic. Then I'll talk more specifically about our POCUS curriculum here at St. Vincent's. And then I will end on some resources if you end up becoming interested in POCUS is point of care ultrasound. Um, so you'll see in, in a little bit, I'll talk about it, that it's a little bit controversial, but in general, POCUS is a goal-directed bedside ultrasound examination performed by a healthcare provider to answer a specific diagnostic question or to guide performance of an invasive procedure. It's a system that allows the assessment of patients without requiring them to be physically present in a radiology department. And POCUS is different from a formal ultrasound because the POCUS user, user usually has a focus question that they are trying to answer, usually a yes or no question, versus a sonographer, radiologist, or cardiologist who's doing a comprehensive assessment. So just to talk a little bit about the evolution of ultrasound and, and point of care ultrasound. Um, so it was actually the Greek and Roman civilizations who first were to study and describe the acoustic properties of sound, but it wasn't until the 1940s when we had the first reported development and use of diagnostic medical ultrasound. And it was actually by this Australian psychiatrist and neurologist who was attempting to visualize cerebral ventricles and brain tumors using this primitive ultrasound device that you can see here. Then into the 1950s, we had the development of the first 2D images uh, by a machine called the Somascope, and it was an immersion tank ultrasound system. Uh, the 50s were, was also a time when our colleagues in OB-GYN started to use ultrasound, um, and it was also a time when the field of echocardiography was first established. 
Then into the 1960s and 70s, we had the development of the first real-time ultrasound scanner called the Vitacin. And the Vitacin, which you can see here, was able to, to display 15 images per second. Um, and this machine uh, started to become pretty routine, started to, to become a part of routine care of um, obstetrics patients, which you can see here. Then into the 80s and 90s, uh, we had more advancements within the field of ultrasound. The transducer, transducers became more sophisticated. The image quality became more clear. Um, but it was also a time when ultrasound started to be used a lot more frequently by emergency medicine. And this marked the start of the POCUS era. Um, this was a time when the FAST exam uh, was developed. It was also a time when ultrasound started to be used uh, at the bedside to help with uh, invasive bedside procedures. And into the 2000s until now, uh, 3D ultrasound was developed and more and more advancements were happening. Ultrasounds became smaller and smaller and the price of ultrasound machines became more affordable. And both of these things led to a lot more people using ultrasound and point of care ultrasound. So you can see from this picture how far we've come in the past 50 years in terms of ultrasound development. Uh, we started off with these really big and archaic looking machines to more of these uh, smaller pocket size ultrasounds. Are the pocket size ultrasounds that are currently available. So these are five different pocket size ultrasounds. Um, you can see that they vary based on several different things, but you can see that the cheapest one is about $2,000. And then the most expensive one can cost you $10,000 or, or more. You can see that some um, plug right into your smartphone, some are cordless, and then some have their own display unit. Uh, our residency here has one of these IVIS for our residents to use. And I believe the hospice group here have a couple of these butterfly ultrasounds. So as I was thinking about POCUS um, earlier this year, I was curious to know um, how many people within the residency had used POCUS before. So I surveyed, I sent out a survey to the residency, all the residents and the faculty and asked them that question. So out of the residency, 88% had said that they had used POCUS before and 12% said that they had never used POCUS before. Despite that, POCUS is actually pretty well recognized. Um, it's recognized by many professional societies that you can see here, including the American Colleges, College of Physicians. Um, and the ACP actually released a statement of support for point of care ultrasound in internal medicine in January of 2020. And as I was uh, you know, doing my research for this talk, I was curious as to what the American College of Radiology felt towards POCUS, and I really couldn't find a statement, you know, saying one way or the other, but they did recently release this article uh, just a couple months ago in January in the Journal of American College of Radiology. And essentially what they argue in this um, article is that our current catch-all phrase of what point of care ultrasound means is imprecise. And essentially what they propose is they came up with this new framework of describing and categorizing ultrasound exams, not based on who is doing the evaluation, but based on what is being evaluated. Um, and they feel that if we can use this framework, it'll lead to better discussion and analysis of research reimbursement and accreditation efforts. 
So moving on to our next topic, um, how is focus incorporated into medical school training? So there's actually no formal requirement for focus skills or knowledge uh, to graduate medical school. Um, but despite that, 62% of US allopathic schools have an element of focus embedded within their curriculum. And this was based on the 2012 study. Um, and you know, this is the University of South Carolina. They uh, claim to be the first university in the country to integrate ultrasound into their curriculum, and they started doing this in 2006. Uh, up on the hill at OHSU, they offer a fourth year POCUS elective um, for their students. And some medical schools even go one step further and actually purchase and give their medical students handheld ultrasounds. Um, I also surveyed our residents and faculty here to see if to see how many had received uh, POCUS training in medical school and how much POCUS training they had received. And this is what they said. So 44% said that they had minimal POCUS training in med medical school. 40% said that they had none. Some felt that they, 16% felt that they had some POCUS training and no one felt that they had a lot of POCUS training. Um, I certainly didn't have any POCUS training or ultrasound training in residency and I graduated in 2017. So how about POCUS training in residency? So and for our colleagues in internal medicines, uh, it is a requirement to offer ultrasound training by ACGME. In family medicine residency, it's not a requirement, uh, but the American Academy of Family Physicians has published a pretty comprehensive curriculum guideline for family medicine residencies. And in a 2009 survey to all of the family medicine training programs, they found that 53% of the programs were establishing or had an established core curriculum uh, for ultrasound. And then within internal medicine residency, again, it's not a requirement by ACGME and ABIM. Certification doesn't include POCUS related, related competen competencies. Uh, but many IM programs do have a POCUS curriculum. Uh, but unlike family medicine, we within internal medicine do not have a published document from a large professional IM society that helps guide our POCUS curriculum. But the um, Alliance of Academic Internal Medicine did uh, uh, release a statement of support for POCUS for IM residency trainings, and they uh, published the statement in August of 2019. Uh, but when I think about internal medicine POCUS curriculum, it seems like it's mainly focused on the inpatient setting, on the wards and the ICU, and there doesn't seem to be as much focus about, you know, POCUS use in the outpatient setting. So that leads me to my next question. Um, in general, you know, is there a role for focus in the outpatient setting? So again, I polled uh, the residency on this question to see what they felt about this question and to ask them how useful they thought focus might be in the clinic. And this is what they said. So 42% said that they thought that focus could be somewhat useful in the clinic. 25% said very useful, 21% said extremely useful, and 12% said not so useful. How can POCUS be used in the clinic? 
Um, so as you can see in this picture, the applications for POCUS in the clinic is pretty vast and really encompass head to toe applications. And for someone who's just starting out with POCUS, it can be pretty overwhelming to see this picture and you know, know where to start. So some easy things that you can do in the outpatient setting if you're a beginner in POCUS um, is looking for pleural fusions. That's pretty easy. Looking for abdominal ascites using it to differentiate between abscesses and cellulitis, as well as looking for knee effusions. I can't personally vouch for knee effusions because I've actually never done that one, but um, the three on the left-hand side, I've done personally and they actually are fairly easy to do. Common is POCUS usage within the clinic. Uh, so I wasn't able to find any data for the, for the US. So my next question was, how about within Providence Medical Group? Um, so there's no official answer, but unofficially, it doesn't seem like there are any clinics or uh, urgent care clinics out there that are using uh, POCUS as part of their care outside of, outside of our residency clinic here. Um, I guess a couple years ago, there were a couple of urgent care doctors who were using ultrasound, um, but they no longer do. How about abroad? So I was able to find this article called uh, the use of ultrasound in primary care longitudinal bill billing and cross-sectional survey study in Switzerland. Um, and this was published in 2020 and it was a quantitative study analyzing 15 years of billing data from 213 general practitioners in central Switzerland um, to see you know, how ultrasound was being used in that patient setting. And this is what they found. So they found that about half or 49% of the general practitioners use ultrasound in their practice. And the people who use ultrasound were more likely to be male working in suburban areas. They tended to be slightly younger and they were more often working in group practices. They also found that the patients who were more likely to undergo POCUS were uh, more often female. They were usually older than 65 and had multiple comorbidities. And they also found between the years of 2004 and 2017 that there was an increase in the number of GPs performing ultrasounds from 39% to 78%. When they look at clinical indications for POCUS um, in the outpatient setting in this study, they found that the most common clinical indication was for abdominal evaluation. And when they probed further, they found that specifically the most common things were to look for free fluid in the abdomen, as well as to look at kidney congestion, followed by looking for cholecystolithiasis and bladder filling condition, followed by liver disease assessment and splenomegaly. Uh, the next most common clinical indication was for thoracic evaluation, specifically to look for pleural effusions. Next was musculoskeletal and other conditions. And within this category, they were most often uh, looking for abscesses and cysts, evaluating lymph nodes or palpable neck masses, um, or looking at the thyroid or parathyroid gland. The next two most common uh, clinical indications was for cardiac and vascular. Within cardiac, they were most often looking for pericardial effusions and within vascular, uh, they were most often looking for DVTs. And then the least most common clinical indication was for women's reproductive health. 
mainly looking at uterine mass assessment. Surveyed the GPs on several things, um, and when they surveyed them on the their reason, general reason for using focus, they found that the most common reason was for faster diagnosis and earlier medical intervention. When the GPs were asked about the medical purpose for their focus, uh, diagnostic was the most common reason. And when asked about the relevance of ultrasound skills to their practice, they replied. Uh, that it was mostly very relevant to somewhat relevant. So what are some proposed reasons to use focus in the clinic? So we just touched on some, so a more timely diagnosis leading to earlier medical interventions. Um, it's also useful in monitoring patients and treatments, especially patients who are at high risk for decompensation. It can be useful in guiding common outpatient procedures. It can increase patient experience and satisfaction. It can reduce imaging delays. It can reduce uh, the need for patients having to, to take multiple trips. It can reduce radiation exposure. It can be useful in resource limited settings. Um, and the, there's a thought that it could help with healthcare costs, you know, if it could lead to less hospital admissions, less ED visits, and less imaging tests ordered. So on the flip side, what are some proposed reasons to not use focus in the clinic? Um, so I know I just talked about cost, but you know, some people don't believe that there's a cost effectiveness. You know, does it truly lead to less ED visits and hospitalization? There's also the concern that we might be using focus in cases where it's not needed. Uh, more data is not always a good thing, especially if you don't know what to do with it. Uh, there's also the argument that the amount of time saved by POCUS is not necessarily a benefit in primary care as opposed to in the inpatient setting or in the ED or, or in ICU. And especially if you have a fairly busy clinic to begin with, you know, POCUS does take time. Even if you're pretty fast out with using the ultrasound machine, it does take time. And even small things is like, you know, running out of gel or getting the patient in the gown or in the right position, all those things can take time. Focus is also one of those things that is not like a one and done type thing. You need to con constantly be using it to keep up your skills and proficiency. Um, and there's also the risk of misinterpretation, especially when the treating provider steps out of, outside of their treating or their comfort zone to make decisions that they shouldn't be making or when they abandon their clinical judgment in favor of the POCUS findings. And probably the most commonly cited reason uh, that I could find in my research was uh, the lack of historical data and evidence showing clinical utility and, and improved patient outcomes. Um, so that's where we'll head next. So is there evidence to use POCUS in the clinic? So I will be spending probably the for the next 20 minutes trying to answer this question, but I will just uh, say upfront that there is not a lot of data out there um, to, to support POCUS usage in the clinic. Um, there's lots of data out there for POCUS usage in the inpatient setting and the ED, um, but there's not a lot of data specifically for POCUS in the clinic. Um, I'll show you what I found, um, but you'll, as you'll see, a lot of the studies that I referenced um, have been done in the ED or the inpatient setting, and we've, we'll just have to extrapolate those results to the outpatient setting. 
So the first thing that I thought about in trying to answer whether or not there's evidence for using POCUS in the clinic is, you know, how good is POCUS? You know, does it really increase our, our diagnostic accuracy? So I'll try to answer that question in the context of all of these different clinical applications of POCUS. Starting off with ascites. Um, so as we all know, detecting ascites on exam can be, uh, for the most part, pretty difficult because oftentimes the patient's body habitus makes it difficult and the amount of fluid isn't a significant amount. Um, so it can be challenging. These are all the different physical exam uh, maneuvers one might do to help elicit uh, ascites on exam. And you can see there uh, associated sensitivity, specificity, and likelihood ratios. Um, in one cadaver study, they found that you needed at least a liter and a half of fluid in the abdomen to elicit flank dullness. And then in another study with living subjects, they found that you needed about half a liter to a liter uh, before shifting dullness appeared. Um, so you can see that there are lots of factors go, that go into whether or not you can actually uh, see these things on exam. Uh, but with POCUS, you can actually detect as little as 100 cc's of free peritoneal fluid, and you have the ability to quantify it as well. So these are the sensitivities and specificity of uh, POCUS based on two studies that I found. So this first study here uh, was done in the ED, and it was actually done uh, by EM residents who received two weeks of training. And they were able to to detect ascites with 96% sensitivity and about 82% specificity. And when they compared the EM residents findings to formal ultrasound findings, they found that the Cohen's Kappa coefficient, which measures inter-rater reliability was 0.78. So it was pretty good. And then in the second study down here, this was actually done in the outpatient setting. It was a study done in Italy and uh, 90 general practitioners were given one week of POCUS training, and after that, they were able to detect ascites with 94% sensitivity and 74% specificity. So again, pretty good. And then this is just to show you what it would look like on ultrasound. Um, so here on the left, this is what it would look like with someone without ascites. Here's the spine, the diaphragm, the liver, and the kidney. And then here on the right, you see that there is some uh, peritoneal fluid right here, which is the ascites. Moving on to talking about uh, whether you could use POCUS to evaluate for left ventricular systolic dysfunction. Um, so when we compare it to physical exam, um, and when we talk about physical exam, I'm going to specifically be talking about auscultating for the third heart sound. Uh, these are the reported sensitivities and specificity and likelihood ratio. Uh, when we use POCUS, the sensitivity uh, to detect an EF less than 50% uh, increases pretty significantly. And this study was taken from a review article um, with multiple studies. Um, but this one was not done in the outpatient setting. This was done in the inpatient setting. And then uh, there was another study that uh, used medical students and they re received focused cardiac ultrasound training. And when they compared their ability to detect an EF less than 
uh, 50% as compared to cardiologists using traditional physical exam maneuvers, they found that the med students were more accurate than the cardiologists, so 89% versus 66%. Now, how about if we compare POCUS to formal uh, echo? So in one study I found, this is done in IM residents in the, in the inpatient setting, and they were 91% sensitive and 88% specific in detecting any EF less than 50%. And when comparing their read to formal echo findings, their Cohen's uh, kappa coefficient was 0.77, so substantial agreement. And then the other thing about using POCUS to evaluate for LVSD is that you don't have to do a complete cardiac ultrasound exam. Um, a single cardiac view may, may be enough for detecting an EF of 40%. And that view is with the parasternal long axis view. So in this view, you position your probe like this and you essentially cut the heart longitudinally. And what you get is this view. So here's the left ventricle, here's the left atrium. This is the mitral valve, the aortic outflow tract, the aortic valve, the interventricular septum, and then over here is the right ventricle. And what happens in this view in diastole is the anterior leaflet of the mitral valve will move towards the septum. And in people with normal EF, that uh, leaflet of the mitral valve will move pretty close to the septum, usually within a centimeter of the septum. But in people with reduced EF, it won't get very close. It won't get within one centimeter of the septum. Um, so in that case, if it doesn't come within a, within a centimeter of the septum, you can say that there's most likely a reduced EF of less than 40% with a reported accuracy of, of about 89%. So just taking these two pictures. So this is someone um, who, whose mitral valve gets pretty close to the septum. So you can say that there's likely no systolic dysfunction present. And then in this case over here, you can see that that distance between the mitral valve and the septum is pretty wide. It's greater than a centimeter. So you can suspect that this person likely has a reduced EF. All right, moving on to skin and soft tissue infections. Um, so most of us try to differentiate between cellulitis and, and abscess clinically, um, but it can be hard to tell and it can be incorrect in up to 22% of cases. And just by physical exam alone to help dif differentiate between these two things, uh, these are the reported sensitivities and specificity. Um, but POCUS can actually improve our ability to evaluate for abscesses um, as compared to cellulitis. And uh, this is the reported sensitivity and specificity. Now, this is taken from a meta-analysis published in the European Journal of Emergency Medicine in 2017. So, of course, it wasn't done in the, in the outpatient setting, um, but this was done by um, EM providers who are both residents and attendings. And there's another study that, that showed that POCUS may have a comparable sensitivity or even a superior sensitivity to CT. Um, and here's the data here. And this is just to show you what it might look like on ultrasound. So this is normal skin. This is the hypodermis, this is the underlying muscle. And then over here, this is what we call cobblestoning and what you would see on ultrasound exam for someone who has cellulitis. And you can see that the hypodermis as compared to this hypodermis is pretty edematous um, and thickened. And then this is what an abscess would look like. 
Moving on to AAA screening. So uh, as we know, there's a one-time AAA screening for this population. Um, screening reduces aneurysm rupture mortality by about 34%. But in a 2012 study, it was found that only about 31% of eligible patients were screened. Um, so, you know, you can evaluate for AAAs on exam as well. And it's, of course, affected by the size of the aneurysm as well as the patient's body habitus. And if you're trying to palpate for a epigastric pulsation, these are the associated sensitivity and specificity. Um, and, you know, ultrasound is already the recommended screening test to screen for triple A's, but what if you could just screen for it when you're seeing the patient in the clinic? So studies have found that this is possible. So the first study was a fairly small study with only 80 patients. It was done by uh, IM residents in their primary care rotation, and they were given pretty minimal training. So their training included watching a 20-minute video, uh, listening to a one-hour didactic, getting one, hours, one hour of hands-on training. And after that training, they were able to detect triple A's uh, with 100% sensitivity and 100% specificity. There's another study that was a larger study that was also done in the primary care setting. Uh, these PCPs actually got a significant amount of training. They got 25 hours of training. And after their training, they were able to complete a scan in an average of about four minutes, uh, but they had a 21% false positive rate. And this is just to show you what it looks like. So this is a normal abdominal aorta, and then this one is enlarged and it's greater than three centimeters. So moving on to DVTs. So I'm sure all of us have had difficulty diagnosing DVT on exam. There are lots of different ways that we can try and evaluate for DVTs on exam, which you can see here. And you can see that the sensitivity and specificity for all of these things are kind of all over the place. Home and sign is pretty bad, um, but it can, be, it can be improved with POCUS. Um, and the, these are the reported sensitivity and specificity. And this was data taken from a multi-center prospective cohort study published in the Annals of Family Medicine in November of 2017. So it was done in the outpatient setting and these PCPs who were involved in this study received two months of formal training. So that is quite a lot of training. And when they uh, compared the PCPs findings to the formal vascular ultrasound, the Cohen's kappa coefficient was 0.86. So that's pretty good. Um, uh, uh, um, pretty good uh, as compared to the formal ultrasound. So they did pretty good. And this is just to show you what it looks like on ultrasound. So here is a clot within the popliteal vein. And our last thing that we'll talk about um, specifically is using POCUS to evaluate for pleural effusions. So evaluating via physical exam alone for pleural effusion, you can see all the things that we can try and do on exam. Um, and their sensitivity and specificity. But all of these things, of course, depend on the patient's body habits, um, their ability to participate in the physical exam, as well as how much volume is actually there. And with ultrasound, you can actually detect as little as 100 cc's of volume. 
Um, I don't have a study comparing POCUS to physical exam alone, but in a study uh, that looked at POCUS versus chest X-ray CT and formal ultrasound, uh, this is what they found. So this was a meta-analysis published in 2016 done in the inpatient setting, and they found that the sensitivity and specificity for POCUS as compared to chest X-ray CT and formal ultrasound, uh, POCUS was much better. And this is just to show you what it looks like on ultrasound. So here on the left, there's no effusion. And here on the right, you can see that the pleural effusion is right here. And this is what we call the spine sign because the spine extends past the diaphragm, suggesting that there might be fluid in here, which is the pleural effusion right here. All right, so I touched on this a little bit in my last couple of slides, but how we achieve these sensitivity and specificity for these various applications of POCUS is dependent a lot on how much training is training those people got in those studies. Um, so this is just a table that helps summarize the things that I talked about. So um, to evaluate for left ventricular systolic function to achieve these sensitivities and specificity, um, you need a minimum of about eight hours of training or 20 practice exams. To evaluate for pleural fusions, um, you need at least three hours of training. And then to screen for triple A's, you at least need about 50 practice exams. So even if you're convinced that um, POCUS does increase your diagnostic accuracy in the clinic, I think the bigger question is, you know, does it change management or patient outcomes? And spoiler alert, there's actually even less data to help answer this question, but I will show you what I found. So this first study was um, a observational study published in the American Journal of Medicine in 2017. And in this study, PCPs for every patient who came into their office complaining about abscess, they had the PCPs estimate clinically how big they thought the abscess was. And then they had the PCPs use the ultrasound to, uh, to, to re-evaluate the size of the abscess. And you can see in this very small study of about 31 patients that the clinical and ultrasound size um, varied pretty significantly for several of these patients. And they found that the abscess size by the clinical exam was inaccurate by more than half a centimeter in 52% of patients. And that's pretty significant, especially when the recommendation is to use oral antibiotics for abscesses that are greater than two centimeters in addition to IND. So being off by half a centimeter um, can lead to uh, management ch changes. We also surveyed the PCPs in the study uh, on various things. So in 23% of the patients, the PCPs felt that the ultrasound exam did alter their decision about whether or not to perform the IND. So for example, in one instance, uh, the PCP was about to go along with IND, but after using the ultrasound, they realized the abscess was too deep um, for them to safely do the IND in the office. And then in 55% of patients, the physician reported that the ultrasound results altered the approach for IND. So for example, if there are loculations within the abscess. And then physician confidence performing the procedure was improved in 52% of cases by using ultrasound prior to the procedure. 
And this is particularly true in cases when the abscess was um, near large vessels, so like if it's in the neck or the groin or the axilla. And then there was also another study that showed that superficial skin abscess drainage, uh, ultrasound guidance reduced treatment failure with a number needed to treat of nine. Uh, POCUS can also be used to help assist common outpatient procedures. Um, and in one study, they found that ultrasound guidance reduced procedural pain scores by an average of 0.5 to 2 on a 10-point scale for subacromial bicep, tendon sheath, and glenohumeral and knee joint injections. And then in another study, ultrasound guidance during knee arthrocentesis reduced pain by more than 50%. And then this is just a table um, summarizing um, how ultrasound for common outpatient procedure affects patient outcome as well as the number needed to treat to prevent missing targets. So moving on to seeing whether or not lung ultrasound affects management and patient outcomes. Um, and patients who were recently admitted for heart failure. So this is the only randomized control trial that I could find. And this is the cluster HF trial. And it was a single center, single blinded randomized control trial published in the American Heart Journal in September of last year. And essentially what they did is they took patients who had just been admitted for acute heart failure for at least 24 hours. And then at discharge, they randomized them to either be in the control group um, for follow-up or in the intervention group where they had lung ultrasound to help guide uh, diuresis in the follow-up period. And then the primary outcome was a composite of urgent heart failure visits, rehospitalization for worsening heart failure, and death from any cause at six months. So what they found is that in the control, in the lung ultrasound group, that there was a statistically significant reduction in the primary endpoint. Um, but when you look at their actual data, you see that the only thing that was actually significant was that in the lung ultrasound group, there was a reduction in urgent heart failure visits as compared to the control group. And that was the only one that was actually statistically significant. So while using lung ultrasound didn't decrease death or, or risk for rehospitalization for heart failure, it did reduce the need for urgent heart failure visits, which, you know, I think from a patient perspective does count for something. So what if we take a step back and instead of looking at whether or not POCUS for specific um, applications, uh, change management or patient outcomes, what if we took a broader view and looked at um, ultrasound in general and see if it changed management or costs. So this is an article that I found. Um, it was published in 2002 in the Journal of Public Health Medicine, and it looked at how having an ultrasound at an outpatient practice changed management as well as affected uh, costs. Um, so this study was done at a medium-sized practice with about 7,000 patients in a rural town in Scotland. Um, and they had two GPs at this practice who was using POCUS. When they looked at whether or not having the scanner at the practice changed uh, patient management, um, they, they looked at what actually happened with 
the having a scan at the practice and then they had to predict what would have happened if they didn't have the scanner at the practice. And obviously there are flaws to this, but uh, what they found is that having the scanner at the practice reduced the number of direct access scans. And it also reduced the number of outpatient visits, inpatient admissions, as well as uh, need to go to the emergency room. It also did a cost analysis um, and looked at what it costs to have the scanner as well as predicted costs without the scanner. And what they found is having the scanner, the ultrasound machine, led to a net reduction in total cost per year of about $11,000. Um, and this is back in 2002. And then the net uh, reduction in cost per episode or patient encounter was estimated to be about $42. So that's all the data that I have to present to you um, about whether or not there's evidence to use POCUS in the clinic. It's definitely not comprehensive and it's not robust. Um, and I definitely think that there needs to be more studies. Um, but I think one thing for sure that I know is that POCUS is coming, um, especially with more medical schools and residencies using POCUS. I think we'll be seeing a lot more graduates who have been trained in POCUS, who know how to use POCUS and are expecting to use POCUS. Um, so I think POCUS is a trend that we will just continue to see more and more of. And potentially at some point, we may even start to see it uh, more commonly in the outpatient setting. But even if you are convinced about using uh, POCUS in the clinic, uh, many obstacles still exist. There are lots of hurdles that still need to be overcome before we can um, truly use POCUS in the outpatient setting. Um, there's the issue of how do we co get competent, credentialed, and certified. There's also all the administrative tasks that go along with this. So how do we upload and store images? How do we document findings to meet billing requirements? How do we bill? How do we clean and disinfect our machines properly, especially in the setting of COVID? And of course, there's the element of cost, which we had talked about. And just to give you an idea of uh, reimbursement for um, POCUS in the outpatient setting. Um, so this is based on the 2020 Medicare physician fee schedule. So just to point out a few for doing an ultrasound guided injection or aspiration of a major joint or bursa. If it's non-facility, you can expect to get about $96 for facility, about $62. If you're doing a limited soft tissue exam with ultrasound, if you're looking at the upper back, you can re get reimbursed about $80. If you're looking at the lower back, about $82. And for an extremity, about $58. Um, and if you're doing a limited chest exam and looking for pleural fusion or looking at A and B lines, the reimbursement rate is about $80. So shifting gears to talk a little about a little bit about the POCUS curriculum here at St. Vincent's. Um, so of course we, we offer didactics through our noon conference for point of care ultrasound and they're at this point given mostly by um, Dr. Patrick Liu, one of our teaching hospitalists and our, one of our POCUS champions. We also have lots of opportunities for hands-on practice. So in the inpatient setting on the wards, um, we do have that handheld ultrasound for our residents to use, and this is two of our residents using the IVIS uh, pocket ultrasound on their cardiology elective. 
Um, we also offer a POCUS elective. Usually it's a week or two with Dr. Liu, and there's Dr. Liu with uh, one of our residents, and Dr. Liu likes to go down to the ICU to practice scanning on the patients down there. Some of our, our attendings also will do POCUS teaching when they're on the ward. So this is Dr. Irene Hendrickson, um, who is also a POCUS champion, and she frequently does POCUS teaching sessions when she is attending on the wards. And then I know from year to year, it depends on the chief resident, but the chief resident will also do some scanning sessions with the residents as well. And of course, in the ICU, our residents use the ultrasound for doing procedures, um, central lines, paracentesis, thoracentesis. And then in the outpatient setting, um, this is fairly new to our POCUS curriculum, um, and we actually received a grant earlier last year to uh, purchase a full-size ultrasound machine for our clinic. So we, we actually got this machine in July of 2020. And um, our outpatient POCUS curriculum is actually led primarily by Dr. Hendrickson, one of our clinic faculty. Um, and uh, here she is here with the ultrasound that lives in her office. And this is one of our residents, Nathan, who is just modeling the ultrasound in clinic. And then um, talk about future directions for the POCUS curriculum here at St. Vincent. So we're looking to get more hands-on training sessions with our with for our residents with standardized models. Um, getting standardized models in this past year with COVID was difficult, but we're hoping that at least in the next year, we can get some standardized models. And of course, we're always looking to expand our POCUS curriculum. Um, applicants are always very enthusiastic and excited about POCUS. Um, so we're looking to not only expand our inpatient POCUS curriculum, uh, but also our outpatient curriculum. Uh, and then something that we're looking uh, towards doing eventually is our hope is that we'll be able to keep a portfolio for each one of our residents. So as they progress through the three years, our hope is that we'll able to store and collect ultrasound images that they've done themselves. And hopefully if they've done enough at the end of their three years, um, they potentially could get a certificate from the residency saying that they have uh, completed POCUS training and could potentially be certified. Um, so those are just some things that um, we are thinking about. What if I poked your, piqued your interest in POCUS and you're curious about uh, POCUS training? So the ACP does offer a two-day in-person workshop for point-of-care ultrasound. So this is their foundational skill workshop for internists. This year it's happening in Chicago in November. Um, and once you've done this workshop, you're eligible to sign up for these more advanced workshops. So there's one for advanced skills for outpatient practice. There's one for ultrasound guided procedures. Um, there's also many organizations outside of the ACP who offer in-person workshops, which you can see here. And then there's also virtual POCUS training. So this one is through UT San Antonio. Um, and this one, I believe, is a month long starting in June. The Society of Hospital Medicine also has a POCUS Certificate of Completion program, um, and I know many of our hospitals have um, gone through this program.
Um, if you're interested in actually doing a fellowship, uh, OHSU does offer a point of care ultrasound fellowship. It's a year long, um, and I believe we've had one resident, one resident um, in our program in the past five years do this ultrasound fellowship at OHSU. If you're not ready to commit to an actual workshop or a fellowship um, and just want to dabble in ultrasound, um, there's, there are lots of you know, free as well as paid resources that you can use. Um, I particularly really like this five minute sono site. Um, they just have quick videos on different applications of POCUS and it's really easy to just watch one before you do an ultrasound exam. Um, I also really like these books that are free on the Apple Bookstore called Introduction to Bedside Ultrasound Volume 1 and 2. And um, I really like this because it's on your phone. There are videos in it and you can just pull it up on your phone um, to have something re to refer to while you're doing your ultrasound exam. And then here are just my references for my talk today. And that concludes my talk. Um, thank you everyone for tuning in today and I'm happy to take any questions that have come up. Wonderful. Thank you so much for the fantastic presentation, Dr. Wen. Um, look into the literature and also bringing your own experience and passion surrounding this. So thank you. Yeah. Um, please go ahead and post any additional questions and I'll begin with those that have come forward during the presentation. Um, first off, just a couple of particular thank yous and acknowledging what an excellent presentation it was. Um, we do have, um, just because others may also be interested, um, yes, you can watch this presentation again. Um, it will be available at the same link as the invite for this Grand Rounds, and there will also be a follow-up email after this session with that link. Um, that will uh, stay live um, for several months. It is available for CME credit for a maximum of three months. Um, and then Dr. Wen, um, some people may be interested in specifically seeing your slides. Um, oh, sure. And, um, so I'm sure she would probably be happy to share those um, and perhaps best to uh, send an email to uh, Stephanie Munoz or Beth Morris if you're interested in getting a copy of the slides. Um, so moving on to one question here, um, do you need to prove quote unquote certification in order to bill and is consent required? That's a good question. I, I don't actually know the, the answer to that. I think that, I mean, I, is this in the outpatient setting or is this just in general? Um, the question was in general though, um, I suspect perhaps related to the outpatient setting. Yeah, I don't know. I suspect that you would have to show proof that you are credentialed or certified in POCUS to bill. Um, in our residency clinic right now, we, we just don't have all of those administrative tasks um, up to speed that we're, we're just using it for educational purposes and, and not to bill. So that's a good question. And, uh, you know, I think is part of the hurdles that we will need to overcome to make ultrasound uh, more accessible within the clinic. Yeah, I agree. That's my understanding as well, that there are different 
tiers of this, including certification, which you would want to have if you're going to be billing the procedures. I don't know if you know, Jen, better than the rest of us, if the general trend in the field has been that this is viewed more like an extension of the physical exam, and most folks are not that interested in the logistics of billing for this per se, or whether um, you know many practitioners really are building up their skill sets and then billing this as a study. Yeah, I think, you know, it's hard to say because it doesn't seem like a lot of people are using um, focus in the clinic at this point. Um, but it seems like at least from my perspective and the residency perspective, we're trying to use it as an extension of our physical exam. Um, you know, and, you know, we told our residents, you know, when we talked about this earlier this year that, you know, it should just be part of your physical exam to take out the ultrasound. Um, and if you just incorporate it into your exam, you'll get used to using it. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for that. And I think very early in your presentation, I just wanted to highlight as you were introducing the concept of POCUS, really this idea that um, the maneuver or test is driven by a single clinical question that's mm -hmm. trying to be answered. Um, as opposed to a more comprehensive report from a formal radiology study. And as a clinician and an educator, certainly that makes me think about kind of forming our clinical questions and moving our pretest probability up or down. So just wanted to highlight that point and not sure if you have anything more to add there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, like, I was talking about all the sensitivities and specificity and likelihood ratios. I mean, I think that ultrasound has a lot of potential um, to really uh, augment our physical exam. Great. Um, this would be a great question for you here. Uh, first, the, the viewer comments, that was fantastic. And can you talk a little about your experience in starting to learn to scan and any advice for others getting started? So yeah. practical info there. This is a little daunting um, yeah. for many of us. Yeah, so that's a great question. And like I said earlier, I'm not certified in POCUS. I'm not an expert in POCUS, just, you know, interested in it. And I think the best way to get started is um, just to pick up a probe and start doing because, uh, you know, you can watch all the videos, you can listen to all the lectures, but really the, the most you'll get it the, you'll learn the most when you're actually doing it yourself. Um, and, you know, when I'm scanning with the residents, you know, we, I try to emphasize that, you know, it's not only important to look at pathology, but it's also important to look at normal hearts, to look at normal lungs, so you know what normal is. Um, so I think, and the other thing too is um, you can get overwhelmed by ultrasound in the beginning, but I think that if you just stick to one thing that you want to learn and just keep at that, um, that's, at least for me, is an easier way to approach focus than like, you know, trying to do a million things and learning a million things at once. Great. Thanks so much. Those are some great practical tips. Um, here we have uh, another one coming through. Uh, not a question, but a comment. I expect the technology to continue to improve, which, if successful, will allow this technology to be even more useful. For example, there are applications that have been released that will measure the EF for you. MAPSI and TAPSI would likely be close behind, which would allow other questions to be answered, like RV function, et cetera. 
How far this sort of thing could progress, I think is unclear, but potentially game changing. Thanks for doing this talk. Yeah. Um, yeah, any knowledge, Dr. Wen, of like the programs being smart enough to, to help us out? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I think if, I think it would be pretty cool to have that, that um, program to help you. Um, I actually haven't had any experience with that, but it seems like it would be pretty useful. Great. Um, I'll just continue to watch here for additional questions. I'll acknowledge we're in the very last couple minutes of our session. Um, I have a couple of questions here. It does um, seem like um, there are, are waves, both I would say for groups as well as individual practitioners who gain enthusiasm and train and then that regresses. Um, and has that been your experience and maybe um, any comments on why that might be or how to sort of take an initial training and then make it sustainable? Yeah, so I think that's, you know, that's the challenge with focus is you could do one, one of those, you know, two day workshops and get, you know, good. But if you don't continue to use it, you're going to lose your skills. Um, you know, my advice for that is just to continue to incorporate it into your daily routine um, so that you can maintain those skills. I, I think that's probably the only way is to continue to lose, use it or you'll lose it. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, well, that's just fantastic and really exciting to see um, your ability to collaborate to get a point of care ultrasound through a small grant um, and exciting opportunities to think about um, now that the technology is much smaller and in ways much more affordable to look for ways to have it out there in the world. Um, I don't see additional questions um, posted and I think we are at the top of the hour. So thank you, Dr. Wen, um, and thanks to our audience for your engagement. Take care, we'll see you next week.